And this morning, he's going to take us from the place where we have been, from the area where we really know him, but we have not professed that we know him. He's going to take us from the area that has been a place of mockery for us, that has been a place of shame, that has been a place that men and women talk about you and point at you. They will take you from the place where you have been wallowing in your singleness or in your doubleness or in your multiple, whichever condition you have found yourself, unknown to you that you truly believe God, but the testimony of God has not opened up in your life in such a way that you can stand among the Pharisees and Sadducees and declare Christ. Anytime God wants to enlarge his servants, enlarge the spiritual territory, financial, every aspect of enlargement, anytime God wants to do it in the life of his children, he begins not by talking about the things he's going to do, but he begins by a fresh revelation of his personality, his glory, and his power in the life of that person. I discovered that when God introduced himself to the children of Israel and talked about so much of what he was going to do, talked about so much of his promises, something went amiss. From the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament, they all repeated themselves in one way or the other. Anytime God says, I'm going to do this and that and that and that, and God shows you everything he wants to do. At the end of the day, there is always a challenge that is amiss. They miss one thing in the midst of those promises. And it never failed. It repeats itself and it's still repeating itself even in our lives today. But before we go into it, I want to share something very important with you. That God has spoken to me this morning. It was a reminder. Anyone who will have an acceptable service to the Lord must first be an acceptable person to God. Your services are unacceptable if you are repulsive to God. Let no one fool us. Let no one fool you thinking that we can do activities, we can do things, we can do so many things in life to please God when ourselves, that is more important to God, is repulsive to him. I have to say this because I have heard many times and I grieve in my spirit. When falsehood is taking over the place, it's because those who know the truth are all lying down. When those who know the truth stands up, it will tower and overflow all the falsehood. I've heard many people talk about Cain and Abel, that the reason why God did not receive Cain's offering was because it was too small because they want you to give more money or because this happened but the truth of the matter the scripture says that his person was unaccepted therefore his services was unacceptable if you want your ministry to have a transformatory effect 
or transformation in the life of people who are with you, whether you're a praise singer, whether you're a preacher, whether you're whatever you do, usher, care minister, whatever you do, it's all needed in the house of the Lord. But in order for it to have an impact to transform life, you that is the carrier of that ministry must first be an acceptable person in the sight of God. God does not reject a man or a woman and accept his offering. It never happened in the scripture. God does not reject a person and receive the services provided by the person. So this morning we are going to talk about the crossroads revival. Many of us are in crossroads in our lives. If you are not in one area of crossroads, there's another aspect of crossroads where you find yourself. It's either you're in the crossroads, you're looking for financial breakthrough or transformation, or you're looking for relational situation, or you're looking for job. It could be one thing or the other in your life, but we are all in crossroads because at a certain time, you might even have two suitors talking to you. You're in the crossroads. Who do I choose? Or you have found yourself in a situation where men and women point at you, talk about you, because you have not professed Christ, but in you, you know him, but because there have not been a suddenly in your life where you can testify of him. This morning, can I have four wonderful men, either you used to play or you still play football or you still play basketball, that you can catch a ball effectively. Can I have one person here, one over there, one over there, and one over here? Please. Thank you. Now, this is what happens. I was talking about the fact that when God is talking about the things he wants to do in the life of his people, that there is one error that continuously repeats itself. And I'm going to demonstrate by his grace this morning how that error repeats itself and put us even in a deeper crossroads based on his promises. But when we understand what the situation is, then the simple solution is here and we're going to do this quickly. When God makes a promise to his people, to many of us here, we have received the promise of God in one way or the other. And it came to pass at a certain time when we have not seen a fulfillment of that promise. Anybody here received the prophecy of God or promise of God and it has not come to pass in his or her life? Is anybody? I am one. Maybe all of you have gotten your promises. That's great. But I am one. And what happens is that this is the promise of God. I will give you something like this. And the first thing he does is he throws it. Now what happens? We run after the promises of God. Because God has made the promise. And now I'm running after the promise of God. You know what happens? Circumstance and situation moves this to the next person. Now I go back, I'm looking for the promises of God. Now I can't catch the promises of God. Lord, you promised me this. Now, I'm after running after this person. Lord, you promised a husband, a wife. You promised me this. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to get it. I go there, I couldn't get it. I'm trying to get it right now. Or I'm going to get it right now. I'm going to get it from you. And I keep going from one place to the other. Running after the promises of God. But there is something missing. The more you run after the promises of God, is the more... You run away from the promiser, from the man who is the promise keeper, from the person who has made the promises to you because I am after the promises and have cannot be able to get this promise. But unknown to me, 
The God who made the promise has even one that is bigger than what you've been pursuing. He has more that is more than what you've been pursuing. So what repeats itself in the life of the children of Israel and repeats itself in your life and in my life? We carry the promises of God. We run with the promise, leaving the promiser behind. We run with it, leaving the promise giver, the promise keeper. So what God wants to do this morning is to have a fresh revelation of himself into your life so you do not pursue the promise, you pursue the man who has given you the promises. Thank you. You pursue the one who gives and fulfills promises. That puts us in a bigger crossroads. Many people felt their life was better before they came to Christ. After they came to Christ, there is so much promises. But we pursue the promise. We see the promise. Circumstances, situations that are beyond our control make it seem impossible that God is unable to fulfill his promise. But the pronoun to us, the promise that we are pursuing is actually taking us away from God rather than keeping us close to God. But if I made this promise, if I made this promise, and rather than going after it, you begin to come closer to the one who has made the promise. The more you seek and seek for his promise, rather than seeking for his promise, you keep coming closer. You keep coming closer. You keep coming closer. To the point where, at the point where she puts her head, she can hear the heartbeat of God. When you begin to hear the heartbeat of God, then she knows that I have one of this. I even have a second one. I even have a third one. Why? Because she wasn't running away around looking for the promise, but she was here with him that is able to fulfill every promises he has made to you. That is why we have been in crossroads, but God wants to change it this morning in a different form. Thank you. In the crossroads of life, God is about to bring revival in our situations. And in order to bring the revival in our situation, he has come to have a fresh revelation of himself. Because the perspective in which you understand God is the direct perspective in which you will pursue him. If you have a wrong understanding of God and his promises, you will pursue him wrongly. If you have the accurate assessment and accurate understanding of God and his promises, you will pursue him correctly. I have pursued the promises of God. I have pursued his healing. I have pursued his deliverance. I've been praying. I go to the east, to the west, to the north, and to the south, looking to get a catch of that promise. But unfortunately, those promises were taking me away from him. He does not want me to seek for the promises. He wants me to seek for him who is able to fulfill the promise that he has made. He does not want me to run around confused. But he wants me to seek him. He is the one who has given you the promise. You cannot fulfill the promise by chasing after the promise, but by with him and through him alone. That's the only way. I looked at all the way in the life of the children of Israel. And the more you pursue the promises, the more you see obstacles. And the more obstacles you see, the less faith you have in the promise. So by the pursuit of the promise, we make God a liar. But he's never a liar. 
He stands firm and true to his word because his word can never change. He did this in the book of Numbers chapter 13. He made a promise. He said to Moses, send spies. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, send spies unto to spy out the land that in which I will give unto the children of Israel. When he made that promise, the Bible says that Moses, who understood what it is, what the promise of God, sent out the spies. And the spies, they all went because God had told him to choose from the tribes of Israel the leaders. So it's not that he chose the mediocres. He chose the leaders, those who are in charge, the leadership of the place. Those are the ones that he chose to send them to go and spy the land. They went out, they spied the land, and they came back and brought a report after 40 days. They brought a report to the children of Israel and to Moses. What was their report? They said, yes, the land in which you send us to go and spy, surely it flows with milk and honey. But we found the children of Anak, the giants. We found the Amalekites. We find the Moabites. We found the, all the Jebusites. We found all the things, so many people. And at the end of the day, they said, that land is a land that devours his people. Now, I want you to see something here. While they went out, looking at the promises of God, God says, go and spy the land that I will give you. God is the one who is going to give the land. He did not tell them to go and seize the power of the people. When you begin to look at the promises without seeing the man who has given you the promise, you are bound to be defeated by your weakness. They went in, they spied the land. They said, surely it flows with milk and honey. Sure. They even brought some fruits, some pomegranates, and said, here are the fruits. And the Bible says it was carried by two men with a staff, and the pomegranate and the fruits in the middle. Up till today, if you go to the Ministry of Tourism or the Department of Tourism in Israel, you will see that their logo is two men, one in the front, one behind, with a stick in the middle, carrying a bunch of grapes on their shoulder. It's still their logo today because they were trying to uh, uh, signify or remember the promises that God had made. But here is the challenge. While they went seeing all the problems, because we are bound always to see the problems that faces the promises of God, we do not see the man who has given the promise. While they are looking at it, they said, yes, the Jebusites, the Moabites, all the Hittites, they are all filled in the land. Then the sons of Anak, the giants, they are in the land. And we cannot do anything. And in the last verse, the Bible says, and we see them as giants. We are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. You cannot use your own eyes to qualify the promises of God. If you read that place, the last verse said, we see them as giants. We are like grasshoppers as we see them in our own eyes. And they see us in their own eyes. How can you say how they see you if it is not the imagination of your own heart? Because of our weaknesses, because of our failure, because of our lack of faith in the God who gave the promise, we are bound to see obstacles rather than the man who has made the promise. 
God says that you have a child. You run into obstacles for one month, for two months, for two years, for three years. You haven't had a child. You begin to imagine all sorts of evil and every negative things overclouding you in the midst of the promise. When the cloud becomes so much, you will never see the man who has made the promise. You will always see the problems that associate with the promises. The children of Israel, that's all they found. But there is always one that God will raise and kill him. The Bible said that he quieted the children of Israel. He told them, listen, we are able to take them Let's go right away. We will even overcome them. Because Caleb was not seeing the problems. Caleb was seeing God who is able to overcome the problems. In my situation, in your situation, as we look and embark on this revival period, it is time to move our attention away from the problems associated with the promises. But let us begin to see the man who is able to fulfill every promise over every obstacle in your life. And from that moment, I noticed that God never speak things to the congregation and expect them to be fulfilled. Because all the people who went, except Caleb and Joshua, every other person, if it is in this country, is majority, majority would have carried the vote. But I'm telling you this morning, he that is with God is majority. Because Caleb was with God, Caleb was majority. It was him and Joshua, but both of them alone were majority because God was with them. So when God is speaking to you concerning your ministry, concerning your family, even concerning this church, you do not look upon the entire people to believe everything with you. If you know God is speaking to you, go ahead. At the end of the day, you will come out victorious. Because men and women are always going to see obstacles. We are not enough members to go into a new building. We don't have enough money to go into a new building. We cannot find a land. We cannot find this. You cannot find that. We cannot find that. East, west, north, south. All we see is problem. But he that received a new revelation of God, we know of his personality, we know of his power, and know of his glory. Because he is able to fulfill every promise he has made to you, whether they believe it or not. He is God, he will do it. He is God, he will do it. From that moment, reading in the scripture, God never pushed anything for the congregation or crowd to do. He began to look for individuals, one or two people. One person here is enough to carry the faith of God in this church. One person here is enough to carry the faith of God in your family. One person here is enough to carry the faith of God in this country. One person here is enough to carry the faith of God in this world. One person here is able to carry the faith of God to change your family, to change your wife, to change your husband, to change your children, to change every situation you find. He needs one person who will say, I see God in the promise. I see God in the promise. And there will be a revival in the crossroads. Sometimes because we are many as a congregation, we find ourselves in a quagmire. We can't move forward, we can't move backwards. We're trying to decide to please Mr. A, please Mrs. B, please Mr. O, please Mr. F. We're trying to please everybody. But who is it that will receive the revelation of God, of his person, of his power, and of his glory, and stand firm? Stand firm. 
Have this church, the members, if you can be accepted by God, your services must be accepted by God. If you must trust and depend on God, even when you do not know you have the faith, God will come to you suddenly. And in John 9, we know of a man that never testified of God, and he came to him suddenly. In John 9, 1, the Bible says, when Jesus was passing by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples said, who sinned, Lord? Is it this man or his family that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his family, but that for the glory of God to be made manifest upon his life. So if you want to blame anybody, blame God. Jesus said, don't blame the man. Don't blame his parents. If you want to blame somebody, blame me. He said, for the work of the God, of the Father to be made manifest in him. Here's a man, the Bible says, he said he was a blind man. He sat by the roadside and Jesus saw him. I want to tell you this morning, you can be alone, suffering in your situation and circumstance, and Jesus will see you. Even when you're not looking for him, because there is an appointment with you that you do not even know. On that day was the day of appointment for the blind man, but he was unaware of it. The other side we know about in Mark 10, 45, we heard about blind Bartimaeus who called on God, but this one did not call on God. This man was sitting. This man was begging. This man was minding his business. I tell you, it doesn't matter what the situation is in your life. Stay where God has appointed you to be. He will surely meet you on appointed day. The man stayed the same place. He never moved. Every day he comes, he begs. People mock him. People talk about him. They say, look at this stupid one. He is blind. He has no money. He is a beggar. Everything they talk about him. But it shall come to pass one day. Jesus will be passing by. Even at this moment, he is passing by. This might be your opportunity. This might be a day of appointment that you never made up. He never told you he was coming, but stay in where you are supposed to stay. He did not tell you, I'm coming to meet you. He didn't tell you you're coming to the White House. If they tell you right now you're going to the White House tomorrow, you go look for the most beautiful clothing that you want to wear. They teach you how to uh, uh, behave when you go in the presence of the king or the queen or the president. But this, nobody teaches you what to do. Just stay where God has appointed you to be. If you're in your address, where your address is, the mail will be delivered to you. But if you have moved, it's a government mail. They do not forward it. It's returned back to sender. He told the man, he sat there, sitting, begging in his present place. But what happened as he stayed in that same place? Jesus saw him. Do you think that God is not seeing you in your situation? Do you see that thing that he's not seeing you while you're crying in the night? Do you think that he do not know that you're blind or that you need help financially, spiritually, humanly? Do you think he do not know that your pillows are wet in the night when you're crying? This man never cried out to anybody. He stayed on his own area. But there's an appointment of God that was not told to you. But if you stay in faith, stay where you are supposed to be. When he comes, he will see you where you are appointed to be. He stayed. was a blind man. And one of the things that fascinated me in that place, he never said anything. Jesus saw him. He didn't see Jesus. He didn't ask about him. But Jesus saw him. He came in into his life suddenly. And his life was accelerated from where it has been to where God wants him to be. He saw him. 
While others are talking about you, about your situation, about the condition of your family, about the condition of your church, about the condition of your finances, while men and women are trying to determine, do you know why the disciples were talking about who sinned? Because they looked at their own life as a standard of measurement. But man's standard is not the measurement of God. What you may have faced before you came to this earth may have been appointed by God so that on the day of suddenly, he will transform you from where you are to where he wants you to be. He came upon that day. He said, here is the situation. I have come to meet you today. And the man still did not say a word. While men and women are debating about him, he said nothing. And Jesus came to him. He said nothing. He spat on the ground and made clay. I like the old King James. He said he spat on the floor on the ground and made and used the spittle and make a clay. And anointed his. I want you to see something here. Different translations say he rubbed on his eye. No, 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 no. The Bible said the anointing breaks the yoke. He said he anointed his eye. From the moment he anointed the eye, the yoke was already broken. From the moment he saw the man and made the clay and anointed his eye, the yoke was already broken. Though the yoke may be broken in your life, may have been broken in your life, you may not have seen it right now. Because at the time that he touched the man was not when the man began to see the man still did not see. Because even from that moment, Jesus sent him on an errand and said, go and wash in the pool of Ceylon. Lord Jesus, I cannot see. And you're asking me to go. I cannot see. You're asking me to go. How can I go? I have no child and you're saying I'm going to be the father of many nations. How can that be? I have no wife and you say I'm going to have children. Do you want me to commit fornication? And he says no. How shall it come to pass? Lord Jesus, even if I could see a little, right now I have a mud of clay on my, on my eyes. How can I? In fact, many times in life, we think our body is light. And after we have come to Christ, there's a higher standard and our body becomes heavier than it was before. When this man, before Jesus met him, there was no mud on his eyes. There was no challenge on upon him. Now the challenge has increased when Jesus has touched him. Sometimes God will touch you and your situation and circumstance will seem in the life of people that it has turned to the worst. But I tell you, God was just setting you up for a setup on the day that he will meet you in the place where you are. He said unto him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The pool of saints. The pool of saints. The man that is still blind. Many of us have heard about the promises of God. It still has not come to pass. This was the second man that Jesus touched and didn't have his sight at the same time. Another one says, what do you see? He said, I see men like trees walking. So God could still touch you, but you may not see the result. Not because it has not been done. It has been done in the spirit, but he's waiting for you to fulfill that which he asked you to do in order for be a manifestation. He said, go wash. Even if I could go, Jesus, now I have a bigger body. I'm now blind. How can I go? Sometimes in life, we have to see the man who has touched us and believe by faith and still go. Blind faith. Like your faith could be blind, but because you do not know. This is a man who has not testified of Jesus. This is a man who never said a word. You may not say a word for us to hear, but God knows what is going on in your heart. You may not speak out or pray out in the church. You may not speak in tongues out in the church, but inside you, he knows what you're going through. But I have come to believe it's not all those who are calling in the public 
But even those, even in their hearts, are calling upon the Lord. He will set up an appointment, but he will not tell you. I know that I have an appointment with God. You know that he has made his promises. You know he has spoken. You know they have prophesied upon you. But as we said earlier, don't pursue the promises. Pursue the man who made the promise. He said to him, go and wash. The man, the Bible said, and he went and washed. And he came seen. And now people began to talk about him. That's, I love that area of the scripture. The Bible says, and when people saw him, they said, is he is not he who sat and begged? Because we are bound. We want to see you where we have left you. I tell that to every man, every woman that's a husband left you and ran away with another woman. When he looks back, he wants to see you where he left you. He wants to see you worse than where he found left you. But I want to tell you this morning, if you can take life from this blind man and move forward in your blind faith, at the time he left you that you have no way to hold on to, at the time that he could not do anything and you are trying to struggle how to raise three children, four children, how to make it, if you can get to that pool of sense, to wash, when you come out seen, they will look for you where you used to sit and beg and cry. They will not see you in that place. They will look for you where they have left you, where you were wallowing in pain and penury. They will not see you. They will say, does it look like the woman I left some time ago? Other people say, no, it looks like her. Other people say, no, it looks like the person. And the man said, I am he. I expected him to say, it is me. He said, I am he. So that person that you have discounted is the man that God transformed to be who you talk to right now. That's why he said, I am he. He did not say, it is me. He said, I am the one. That's where I used to be. That's the place I was before. You knew me as was, but God know me as is. He knew you as used to, but God knows you as now. That's why he said, I am he. I want you to understand that when God has made his promises upon your life and it has not come to pass, follow the man who made the promise. And men and women will talk about you. From how they talked about you before, they will change. I love God. We know in blind Bartimaeus' case, the same people who told him to shut up were the same people he used to call him. The same people who said, is this not the man who sat and begged? They qualified him by his circumstance. They qualified him by his situation. Many have qualified you by your circumstance, by your situation, by your past. But what you have to do is not to say, I am that person, but is that that person is me because this is the newness of God in your life. You may have been qualified as the sick one, but this is the time to say, I am the one that is healed. They may have qualified you as the one abandoned. You can say, no, 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 it is that one, but this is me. Because God has taken me from where I was to my suddenly. He has taken me from the place where things were difficult to the place where it is easy. He has taken me from the place of where men and women have thought it is over in my life and here is my new me. He has taken you from the place where you used to beg to a place where you used to give. He has taken you from a place of frustration to the place of divine joy. He has taken you from the place of darkness to the place of light. He has taken you from the place that is forgotten to so they set your feet on a mighty 
lost solid ground. He took you from the pit and he set you on high. The men and women began to talk about you in a different form. Not the way they talked about you before, but they are talking about you now in a different form because you have been accepted by God and your services have transformed the life of others.